There's one other thing I do want to let you know about. Uh, we couldn't give Wayne more than he could handle. So <laughs> next Sunday night, uh, we, we are taking part with four other churches to hold a Locked in Solidarity service here at 6 o'clock. Uh, these are the churches that are putting on the table talks. What Locked in Solidarity is, is it's a national event through CCDA, which uh, different churches in different cities stand in solidarity to people who are impacted by the criminal justice system. And so we will be here at 6 o'clock next Sunday uh, with uh, other, other churches in town worshiping, praying, hearing a message, and, and just hearing God's heart for these families, for these individuals. We want to make sure that you are aware of that. It's next Sunday. We hope that you come to church in the morning and then come join us uh, for that at 6 p.m. here. Okay? All right, let's, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for being here today. Thank you that we can experience you in real ways. Holy Spirit, thanks for your presence. Pray that you continue to move. That you continue to refine us. Father, thank you that you created us and you've called us. We pray that that calling would go deeper and deeper into who we are. And so we give you this time and we ask that you would speak loud and clear into each one of our lives. In your name, amen. All right, so this, this morning I get a chance to start off this new series that we are in. And I'm excited about this series because sometimes we need to know what it is that we believe, right? Like in this room, we're coming from very different backgrounds and different religious backgrounds, different lengths of time. Some of us have been followers of Jesus for a long time. Some of us are not. Uh, some of us are, are deeply churched by 17 different versions of church. Some of us, this is the church first church experience. And so when I, we come together, it's a little bit of like, okay, what do we, what do we believe? What is this like? And, and one of the things as we set out this goal of always becoming that we talked about is how do we, how do we even know how to say what we believe? What, how do we know what to say that we believe from Scripture, but also from our own experience? How is it that we tell our story? And, and we realize part of our job as pastors is, is to teach how to tell our story. So there's this verse, that our memory verse for this series, Revelation 12, 11. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. This is a verse we're going to say over and over again, Let, let's, let's say it together right now. They have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So in this series, in the next six weeks, we're going to understand what this verse means. We're going to understand who him is so that we know that him is not we're conquering Jesus or we're doing something like that. Like, who is it that we're conquering? What is the blood of the lamb and what is the word of our testimony? And why does this matter? Why is this so important? We're going to understand this verse, and we're going to know how to tell our testimony. We're going to know what our story is. In fact, we're ending this series with a service of people giving their testimony, of saying, yes, we can say what God did at one time, but we can also say, here's what God did in the last six weeks of my life. 
Here's what God did this week. Here's where I'm seeing the living Jesus collide with my life. Redefine me and guide me. Okay, so that's what we're doing in the next six weeks. Each of you probably got a paper bag, or if you didn't, we have some available for you. And, and here's what this is. We're inviting you to collect some things over the next six weeks. We have different topics. Uh, today we're talking about the fall and our origin. We're talking about salvation next week. We're talking about peace. We're talking about sanctification. We're talking about our testimony. All of these things, we're inviting you to take this bag and put it somewhere, like not under your car seat, but like maybe, maybe on your counter at home or something, and then collect things or write things and set them in here that remind you of each week. So at the end of this week, draw on the bag or put something in the bag that reminds you of what we've talked about. And then by the end of six weeks, we'll have five objects or words or things written in here that are our story that are the distinction between you and me. And so when we get together in six weeks, we can, we can have this set of things that are, here's how God has expressed in you, and here's how God has expressed himself in me. It's the beginning of telling our testimony, just a simple way to do it, okay? So that, that's what this is for. And now we're going to just kind of start into my task for today, which is we're talking about the fall, but we're also, this is like the origin story. Origin stories are really cool right now, right? Like with superheroes and stuff like that. Everybody wants to know how did this origin story happen? Uh, my kids love superheroes, and they want, like, they want to know the backstory to every superhero. It's not a cool one unless you know where that superhero comes from. And then you look at even when someone comes across in the news or, or what shows are popular on, like, Netflix and stuff. It's the stories that tell, like, you might know a little bit about this person, but here's where that person comes from. Here's where their origin is. Here's why that person is who they are. The origin stories matter deeply. And so we're going to look at one today. We're going to look at the origin story that I think most of us have been taught to claim as our own. So if you've got your Bible with you, we're going to spend most of our time in Genesis 3. So go ahead and open up, crease your Bible right there. Otherwise, open up your app or, or look at the screen. The first seven verses of Genesis 3 start like this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? Now pause for a second. I spent probably half an hour wondering if I should give the serpent a voice, but I didn't know what voice to give him. So I just gave him my voice because I thought it was telling. So anyway, okay, verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, uh, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, you your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Okay, first thing in this, we are kind of centered on ourselves a little bit, 
Reality is, this was not written for us. It, God's intent is that we get to read it, but we were not intended to be the, the first hearers of it, the, the very first ones to understand it. So it, it's always helpful for us to pay attention to how somebody back in the day would have understood the verses. It's always important to do that because we, we read it like through our own lenses, right? And so best we can, let's, let's go back to what the first hearers would hear. So man and woman is what they're called in Genesis 3. Then later they get the names Adam and Eve. We're just going to call them Adam and Eve so it's not confusing, okay? Adam and Eve are in the garden. When we think of the garden, most of us think of perfection, right? We think that that's the place where it was perfect. But at the same time, when we say perfect, what we mean is without error. We define the garden by what is not there. There is not sin there. There is not pain there. We've actually even read into the text that there's no death there, that there's no, like, the trees don't die. We've read that into the, it's not in the text, but we even read that there's nothing that is negative there. It's perfection. But first hearers, the very first people who would have been given this scripture would see this as sacred. The garden is sacred. It's not about what is not there. It's about what is there. God's presence was there. God walked freely there. It was like the tabernacle or the holy of holies. It was the space that God was. So when they heard the garden, that's what their mind went to. And that's pretty different defining by something by what is not there or by what is there, right? So keep that in mind as we're going through this, that they would hear the garden as a place that is sacred where God dwelled. Now, by verse 2 of chapter 3, we already have exaggeration happening. Does that happen in any of your home in the first hour of the day? That's what we have happening already by verse 2. It happens to be a woman first. That is not always true in life, but here this happens to be the case. Eve... <laughs> Jamal just quoted me and put it on Instagram. In, in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, we see this. God tells Adam, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it of it, you shall die. Then, now here's, here might be the problem. Adam is told to tell Eve what God said, like, verbatim. And maybe he was watching Netflix or the game or something. And by the time she heard it, she heard, or convinced herself, exaggerated, and heard, we may eat of the tree, uh, fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. Two things here. God said, you can eat of all the trees. When you say the word all, you look around, right? You're in a beautiful garden. You can eat of all the trees, and you'd be like, oh, look at that. Eve said, we can eat of the trees. We can eat of the trees. It's missing one word, but that's a big difference. You know what that is? That's a, that's a note of God's generosity and wonder. That is worship. When we realize that God is in awe, our heart is struck with awe, reverence, joy. When we're just taking them for granted, it's, well, it's just, we need of the trees. 
And then she says, we can't even touch it, which is very like, I don't know. I don't even know where that comes from. But the word of God is exaggerated and has made this thing that is unattainable. What God says is, there's no way we, I'm going to accidentally trip and fall into this tree in the middle and I'm going to touch it. Like, that's just going to happen, so I might as well just eat it. This exaggeration comes in and really messes with the entire story. The focus is away from God's generosity and it becomes what we don't have. Now, here's the issue that we see here. There's this chasm of knowledge, right? The tree is in the middle don't eat of the tree that's in the middle. And so there's all these trees over here, and I think Adam and Eve are just walking like this, just staring at the one that they can't have. And there's something about that tree. There's knowledge that God has that they don't. And that tree represents it. And God says, here's the boundary. Here's what's going to keep you safe. Trust me with that. And they're like, well, I don't know. I don't know if we can really trust him with that. He mentioned death, and he mentioned this tree, and I don't know. And they just stare at this thing. They're consumed with this thing. There's an entire other garden that they could just live like this, but they can't, and they don't. Because when there's something that's not known by them or us, mistrust enters in. My future your future, what the doctor's going to say, what that job holds. All of these things that we don't know that God has access to the knowledge of when he has it and we don't, mistrust enters in, right? Have you ever been there? Genesis 3 tells the biblical origin of our mistrust. This is where that's found. Now, Eve faces the serpent, eats the fruit. She hands it to Adam, and like any dude that I know, when he's given food, he just eats it. Adam doesn't even face the serpent. She just says, here, and he's like, oh, sure. I'm sure he knew the fruit because he's staring at the tree. I'm sure he knew what tree it was from. It's not like he could plead ignorance there. That is the fruit he's not supposed to eat. And cowardly, he's like, well, sure. Why not? And he eats the fruit, and they realize their nakedness. Now, they are physically naked, but there's something else to the Hebrew word here. There's also this vulnerability. They realize that they're vulnerable. They realize that they're mortal. They realize that there is an end. They realize that there is all of this stuff they don't know that matters. God had said, just trust me with that. They eat of this fruit, and all of a sudden they're like, well, that stuff is important. And there's, yes, there's nakedness, but there's vulnerability, and so they hide. They sow fig leaves together, and separation and alienation enter into our story because of mistrust. Do you see that in this text? Now, here's a question we should always ask with Scripture. Do you see that in you, in us? Do you see where God invites you to trust him with what he knows, and yet you're so consumed by that that you miss the glory and wonder of what he's given you? You miss his generosity. You're consumed with mistrust, and all of a sudden find yourself separated or alienated. 
If you've ever felt that, this is its origin. The text goes on. Let's read 8 through 13. Then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you're naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent tricked me and I ate. The second section here, God says, where are you? God knows where he is. He'd be, God would be like incredibly good at hide and seek. He's asking, where are you on, on like Adam's dignity? Uh, on Adam's behalf, giving him an opportunity to step forward. And Adam's mistrust produces fear. God has shown who he is throughout Adam's life. And all of a sudden, Adam learns something he didn't know. He learns that he's naked. He learns that he's vulnerable. And he goes and hides as if God changed. God hadn't changed. Adam had changed. And he says, I was afraid because I'm naked. His entire life, he had been naked. He just finally found out. Now, here's the other thing about that. This thing that Adam was sure was against him, that he was sure was something that disqualified him, God was good with it. There was no shame in his nakedness. There was no shame that he was vulnerable. The very thing that you are vulnerable because of may not be something that God is telling you to feel shame about. We sit and hide those things from each other, from God, as if he can't see. And he says, who told you? God knew. Who told you? In our lives, the things that you're afraid of, the things that you go and hide because of, who told you that? Who told you? Was it God who, who in his goodness, shined light on you to refine you and make you who you are? Or was it somebody or something shoving you into the darkness and telling you that that's where you belong? It's worth going into our stories and looking back and realizing, who told me that's what I am? When I sat in this text for probably the last month, we, we talked about doing this about a month ago. When I sat in this text, I'm telling you, I thought this was my entire story, Genesis 3. And I had to look back and say, who told me this? Who told me that I am this? Because as I read this text, it's not in this text. And I had to go back and do some work to some people who, who really validated some lies about me. And be like, no, that's not who my God says that I am. That wasn't a way of pulling me into the light. That was a way of just getting me to sit down. And that's never the way of the kingdom. This anxiety becomes fear. Genesis 3 is not just the origin story of our anxiety. It is the origin story of our fear. 
And it's where we go run and hide from God, mistrusting who he is. If you're wondering where fear comes from, it's here. It's right here. Adam and Eve wanted wisdom. They wanted to be like their God. They wanted to understand death. They did what's foolish, and they blamed each other. Adam said, that woman you gave me. Which, guys, that's not a good line. It's a horrible prayer. Don't ever use that one. Woman turns around and blames the serpent. Nobody takes responsibility. Nobody says, here's what I did and here's its impact on me. Instead, we just tried to shove somebody else into the light as if the light is what the problem is. Right? We try to shove some. No, it's them. Expose them. No. The light is our friend. That's where we should run. And so we blame each other out of fear, and we distance ourselves from God out of fear, right? Do you see that in the text? Now, do you see that in yourself? Do you see that in us collectively? See that in us as a country, us as a people, us in this time? Because of all this, there's consequences. There just is. Honestly, because God is love, there's consequences. He loves us too much to leave us. And so there's, there's curses on the, the serpent, which is fascinating. Go read that. And then there's, there's curses spoke over man and woman in verse 16 of chapter 3. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to the man, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Okay, a tiny bit of Hebrew. I don't know Hebrew. This is all I know, so I'm going to give you what I know. Tiny bit of Hebrew. In, to, the, to the woman, God says, in pain, uh, you shall bring forth children. Right? And then to the man, to Adam, uh, he says, in toil, you shall eat of, of the, the, the ground, that, the stuff that you're planting. They were eating of trees that were already planted. All of a sudden, they have to dig a garden. And he says, of toil. Now, this pain and toil are the same word. They're the same word. God speaks the same thing over both the man and the woman. And the word it is... It, in what I've learned, is, is not well-translated pain, and it's not well-translated toil. It's well-translated as anxious labor. Your work will be filled with anxiety. Mothers in the room, I think kids were going to hurt no matter what, but that giving birth, that labor, will be filled with anxiety because of this curse. That change it a little bit. This birthing of children and rearing of children will be filled with anxiety. Men, your work will be filled with anxiety. You'll worry about enough. Are you doing enough? Are you producing enough? Will there be enough in the future? All of that will not just be difficult, not just painful. It will be anxious. Those are vastly different. I can deal with a little bit of toil. The anxiety, whoo. Women, y'all are superheroes. You, you go through pain, but the anxiety on top of it. 
this is a big deal. This Genesis 3 is the origin not just of, of our mistrust, not just of our fear, but it's the origin of our anxiety. This is where it comes from. This is where we, we see this happening, and, it, and it's crippling to people today. This is crippling to us today. The anxiety over our children, the anxiety over our work, this anxiety that came not because God designed for it and said, you know what, I want you to have this, but as a curse for our mistrust and our fear. So here's, here's the thing. This is not written in real time, right? I mean, let's think about this. If this happened right now, people would be tweeting, oh, the serpent, the serpent's talking. Can you believe it? And there'd be like all these hashtags and stuff about this. This is not written in real time. This is not Eve's journal. This is written later for later people. This is oral tradition that God in his brilliance inspired the writers later to write to a people who desperately needed this story, desperately needed this reality of what God did. This is written to a people who were oppressed among stories of creation. They were hearing stories of other people telling creation out of warring gods and violence and hatred and all of this. And God and the writers wanted the people to know their origin, wanted to know where they came from. And so this, this anxious labor, this curse, it's a curse. It wasn't God's design. This was a result of Genesis 3. There, there's another section here that we just, we just got to be honest. If we're letting the text be honest, look at Genesis 3.16 again. He's speaking to the woman. He says, uh, your desire will, shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Men, honestly, this is the curse. This is not God's design. We've taken this as if, well, God meant for us to be like this. No. The curse is that men are going to be like, I got bigger biceps, so I'm in charge. That's the curse. Because here's the thing. Anxiety is given here as a curse of man. And then Jesus says, you should not be anxious. Be anxious about nothing. Anxiety is not God's desire for us. Then we see the text say, man shall rule over a woman. But Paul says, no, you shall be, be devoted to one another. You should be submitted to one another. That's what scripture says. But we've taken the curse and said that that's our calling. That is not our calling. This is not our calling, guys. Mistrust, fear, and anxiety, this is its origin. Now, you read Genesis 3 to Genesis 11, and you see that this becomes violent and chaotic, that this is not just individuals, but this becomes the way that we operate with one another out of this mistrust, out of this fear, out of this anxiety, and it just spreads. You read the news today, and it just spreads, but that is not what we were designed for. You see, Genesis 3 tells the biblical origin of our mistrust, our fear, and our anxiety, but not of us. This is not our origin. 
This is not what you come from. This is not what I come from. We're born into a world that feels like this and instantly says, this is your lot. You are behind, dig out of the hole, you are screwed up. But the scriptures teach something vastly different. When the scriptures tell us our origin, we go back to the beginning. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth. Let me pause for a second. Dominion is not let's just burn the thing down. Dominion is we are in his, in his image, and so let's, as his image, be caretakers. Let's take care of this place. Now, I pause there because I don't like creeping things, so I didn't want to say that over the creeping things that come next and over the creeping things that creep on the earth. And so God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. You want your origin story? Turn to Genesis 1, 26, 27. That's where you came from. You are an image bearer. That fear, that mistrust, that anxiety that you and I carry, that is not what we were meant to carry. We're made in his image. He is love, and so we are meant to carry love. We are meant to be filled with love. That's it. You feel that mistrust? That's not from him. His spirit is sent to rid us of that. You feel fear? That's not from him. His spirit is sent to rid us of that feel that anxiety? That's not from him. Now, that doesn't mean you feel that anxiety. That doesn't mean go hide and be ashamed. No. He says, who told you you're naked? Bring that anxiety out into the open and let God heal. Bring that mistrust out into the open and let God heal. Bring that fear out into the open and let God heal. That's his intent. That's our design. You see, this fall is all around us. The results of Genesis 3 are all around us. They impact the the way that I see the world. They impact the way that I interact with the world, but not because I was made for Genesis 3. That's not why. It's because I've just lived with that in my oxygen for way too long, and I bought way too many lies. The truth is you and I are image bearers. And you and I are to pray for the kingdom to come and not settle until it does. We're to expect that to happen. And this garden, not perfection, but this garden of sacred space where God dwells, we're to hope for that again. And we're to not settle for less than that. As we begin to understand our stories, and as we begin to tell our testimony, when I think of overcoming, part of what we have to overcome is the Genesis 3 that we've swallowed as if it's good for us. And this week, before you come again into next week, my prayer for us as a church is that you and I would begin to see where God's inviting us to become who we already are.
where he's calling us into where we are, who we are. And this is something that everybody I've ever met is dealing with. And so as we close service today, we're going to close a little different. Most often we invite people to the front who need prayer. We're still going to, we're still going to have time like that. If you need to, after the service, I'll pray with you in the back. I'd be glad to do that. But first of all, reality is on this stuff of our origin, we all need prayer. And so uh, we've asked Miss Stephanie if she would pray for us. And she's going to lead us in a time of prayer as, as we close. a good word. Thank you, Matt. But how do you get it to go from being a good word to being your reality? That's our request of God this morning. How do we get this truth to become the way that we see ourselves and the way that we walk and the way that we move. And, and, and that requires us to enter into a transaction with the Lord. We can get into this rhythm with coming to church and observing what's happening in the room and feeling what's happening to others in the space, but stopping short because of fear, anxiety, mistrust. Well, it's for them, but not for me. You love them, but I'm not sure you love me because I know what I did last night or I know what I've done. And you have forgiveness for them, but not for me. There's hope for them, but I'm not so sure there's hope for me. And so God is inviting us into a transaction with him where we lay down the lies and we pick up his truth. We have these bags and I, from the moment I heard of them, this is all I could see is this bag, empty. But when God created us, he breathed his life and his image and his spirit into us. we became who he created but we can only live in the reality that he defines us again when we enter into that transaction but it's more than just a moment transaction it's a breath by breath transaction where breath by breath we do what John 3.30 says, 
I must decrease while he must increase. And so we breathe in and we breathe out. And moment by moment, we let go of the mistrust, the fear, the anxiety, and we breathe in the truth of his reality that he created us, he loves us, he made us for himself. And if he did all of that, he won't leave us where we are without him doing something about the mess that we have created. He knew the mess, Adam and Eve, were gonna get in, but he didn't leave them. And it was mistrust that led them there. But he had a plan all along that if we would trust him, we wouldn't have to stay there. And the lie is that you deserve to stay in that place of anxiety, fear, and mistrust. But the truth is that you've been set free from the mistrust, the anxiety, and the fear. But again, you've got to enter into that transaction and let God breathe his life and his truth into you each and every moment. And there's no shortcut. It happens daily by the word. It happens daily by worship. It happens daily by entering into the place of prayer. It happens daily by being in fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ that can lift us up and that could say, honey, take it to the Lord. That can say, Brother, come right here and let me take it to the Lord with you. One of my favorite verses is Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because... He trusts in you. You will keep her in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on you because she trusts in you. The only way we're gonna be able to trust the Lord is if we just start trusting the Lord. And the first thing that we have to trust him with is that he really does love us. That's the first thing that we have to go after. And I wonder this morning if you really trust that God loves you. Do you really trust that? In a moment, we can all say yes, but like in this space, you know, like the longer space, do we really trust that?
just need you to bow your heads and talk to the Lord for a moment about where you are with him and trusting his love for you. Just talk to him about that. Ask him about his love for you. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. We gotta make more space to wait upon the Lord. We don't know because we wait on other things that can't fuel us the way that his presence can fuel us. And when we try to wait, we're so out of practice that just one minute, we can't focus for even one minute. But I just wanna challenge you, fight to focus. To press in, fight to get to that place where your soul is communing with the Lord.
breathes his love and his life into you again. Again. He loves you. You're his favorite. He chooses you. He chooses you. You're his favorite. His love is perfect. It covers a multitude of sins. His love is enough. He's picking you up in his arms to wrap you up so that you know, 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 that you know that you're loved by him. He created you and he loves you. He knows about all the stuff. He knows about all the junk. But that doesn't stop his love. The reason all that junk is there is because you don't believe you're loved. And if you would just dare to believe, if you would just dare to jump off into the ocean of his love, if you would just take the risk, you would find that he's worthy, that you can trust him. And his love, his love is able to deliver you. His love is able to set you free. His love is able to heal you. talking about a transaction and I feel like that the Lord is saying that if you need more of his love if you need to feel it more you need to know it more you need to understand it more you need a fresh awakening of that reality in your heart in your life he, he wants you to come forward he needs you to put feet behind what you're feeling, feet behind what you're thinking and experiencing with him right now. So just come forward if you need more of his love.
Oh, Lord, we need more of your love. We need more of you, Lord. We don't even know, God. We need more of you. We need the touch of your hand upon our hearts. We need your, your love to surround us. your love to fill us up. We need your love to define us. We need your love to fuel our identity. We need your love to be our testimony. We need your love, God. We need your love. As we close, thank you, Stephanie. Here's the thing. I hope that this isn't just exchange of information ever. I hope we just don't, oh, I look at that passage different. I hope that what Stephanie's praying is what hits us, that, that we live in a place where his love is what defines us. So thanks for leading us in that. As we close, I want to invite you to stand to your feet. In the series, we're going to, we always have a benediction, but we have a little more formal of a benediction here. I'm going to read a chunk, and then there's a part that where you're going to read the verse, our memory verse back 
with me, okay? We'll, we'll, we'll do this as we close. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It's come at last, salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to the earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. And our memory verse is coming up. This is where we read this together. And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. God who sees us in our fallen state, we once stood naked and unashamed before you. Yet now we cover ourselves with shame. Let not our fall be our final. Let not the serpent have the victory. And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. Amen. Amen. Enjoy your week. We'll see you next week.